I want to share with you a, a quote that since the very first time I heard it, 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 it grabbed my attention. And I've thought about it. I've, I've, I've asked myself what it means. And uh, I want to... I want to look at that just a little bit today. The quote was by one of the early church fathers. He he was a church leader before Christianity became a threat to the Roman Empire. They kind of saw it as kind of a Jewish sect and didn't wasn't too concerned about it until it started permeating everything, and then all of a sudden, some of the uh, uh, emperors got concerned. But the man said this. He said, The glory of God is man fully alive. And so one of the things I've asked myself is, what would that look like? Have I ever, ever come close in my walk with the Lord? And I believe that a man fully alive, his life would be characterized by uh, by love, by joy, by peace. And it sounds like we're uh, listening to the fruit of the Spirit here all of a sudden. Because Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But also, when I when I think about a life like that, I, I think of a freedom. I think of a righteousness that is a righteousness far beyond my own. I believe Jesus Christ is the only man that's ever walked the face of the earth and was fully alive. And Colossians 1.27 says that Christ in us is the hope of glory. Now, Jesus is in me. He's in you. If you're a Christian, by definition, Christ, by His Spirit, lives inside of your spirit. He is your life, Paul would tell us in, later on in Colossians. So if, if Christ is in me to the extent that his life and his personality is flowing uninhibited through me, then I'm fully alive. Does that make sense? Well, I ask myself, is it possible to even come close to being fully alive while I'm walking the earth? Or is that just kind of, one day when we die, it's all going to be better? Well, Jesus seemed to think it was possible. He said in John 10.10, he says, The thief, referring to the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come so that you might have life and have it abundantly. There's a quality of life 
that Jesus came to give us. Eternal life is not going to heaven when you die. It's entering into a realm of reality where you fellowship with God and He lives His life through you, through the Spirit of His Son within you. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light that my life gives him. You see things from God's perspective. You see yourself the way God sees you. You see others the way God sees them. He said in the same chapter, this is John 8, he says, Got to think about what he said. Hold a minute. Well, doggone, I can't remember. So I'm going to look it up. It's a wonderful thing to be able to look it up. He says, if, and it's interesting, he said, I, I will start, I won't just begin with this quote. It says, Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed him. He's kind of clarifying things for them. He's got to say they believed him. He says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, you're free when you see reality. But who's free? Those that know the truth. Who knows the truth? Those that are followers of Christ. Well, who's a follower of Christ? Those that are choosing to abide in His Word. To dwell there. That this is what Jesus says is reality, and I'm going to live there. Paul thought so. Paul, Paul, I've already quoted the verse, and it's Colossians 3, 4, where Paul says, Christ is your life. He just kind of said it as an aside. It's like, everybody knows that, right? Well, the first time I read that, it exploded off the page. What? Christ is my life? Yeah, Christ is your life. When he's writing to the Romans and getting toward the end of the book, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Now, is that possible? Paul seemed to think so. Let me read to you out of Ephesians. By the way, we were studying Ephesians in the men's group and we are finished. Less than two years, I'm telling you. And we're starting brand new this, this, this Wednesday morning. Going to do the book of uh, Galatians. And my goal is to finish that by the end of the summer. Yeah, you heard it. I said that last Wednesday and uh, Jerry Wright said, uh, which summer? But in Ephesians, Paul says this. He's talking about the church and he's talking about gifts to the church in the form of men or women. People, He says, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers 
for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of God, of the Son of God, and to a mature man to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. Paul thought that was possible, that we would grow to maturity, that we would resemble Christ. He's the head and we're the body. When you read the book of Ephesians and you see his vision for the church in terms of spiritual warfare and what the church can be, we can never settle for anything less. Let me read to you out of Paul in the message in Philippians chapter 3. Paul's upset in, in, in the Galatians. The reason he writes the, the book of Galatians is because he went and, and shares the gospel with these people. Then people come in and try to help them get religious. And he's saying, man, that, that's not it. That's, that's not it. Don't complicate it. And the same thing, problem, problem, the same problem when he writes to, to the Philippians. But he says, and he refers to them as these people. Those, those are the ones he's talking nice about them. He talks other ways about them in other places. But he says, the very credentials of these people are way, excuse me, the very credentials these people are waving around is something special. I'm tearing up and throwing out in the trash, along with everything that I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things that I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Jesus Christ as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I was I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. Dog poop. You don't know what dung is. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I can embrace Christ. And be embraced by Him. I don't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ. God's righteousness. I give, it, I give up all that inferior stuff so that I can know Christ personally. Experience His resurrection power. Be a partner in His suffering. I kind of wish He hadn't thrown that part in there. Because what I am finding as I walk with the Lord is there is suffering that goes with it. And it gives you an opportunity to allow Christ to be Christ in you instead of taking it personal. It frees you from the way you handled it in the past. I'm not talking about Necessarily about disease and that type of suffering. I'm talking about rejection. I'm talking about uh, people not living up to your expectations. And if everybody's like me, this would be a great world. Well, for me, <laughs> I went away on vacation, left a list of some things for my fellow workers to do, and I come back, and guess what? They weren't done. Now, in the past... I would have had a poor spell. I would have lost my joy. Because, but you know what? The Lord said, look. Don't let it, don't let it steal your joy. I've got this. 
I, I, I've got this. Just relax. It's an opportunity. Got it. I, I, I chased the rabbit, so let me go back. I gave up all this inferior stuff so that I could know Christ personally. Experiencing His resurrection power. Be a partner in His suffering. And go all the way with Him to death itself. If there is any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. I'm not saying that I have this all together and that I have it made. But I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself as an expert in all this. But I've got an eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. That's good, isn't it? See, Paul knew how much greater the new covenant was than the old. He knew the potential because of the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. He knew the potential of what we as individuals and we as a church can be. And he's writing these books to the different churches saying, don't settle for anything less. So if it is possible, how do we get there? I wish there was, pray this prayer and it'll be there. If you know one, Talk to me, but there's no immediate thing. It's a process. And there are steps that you have to settle in your heart if it's going to be a reality. And let me tell you, it can be a reality. I know. I've tasted. I know. I think the first thing is we got, we got, we got to be like Paul. We've got to decide that the most important thing in my life is knowing Christ. He can't be a, yeah, he's kind of out there on the periphery. That won't work. You know, one of these days, you know, when I, I hear all these excuses, well, when I get out of high school, I'm going to get serious. I mean, when I get out of college, when, when, well, after I get married, well, after, after we have kids, after the kids are grown, after I retire, pretty soon, I mean, that day never comes. You know what I'm saying? It never comes. And, and, and so it, it, it's, it's now or really never in terms of saying the most important th- thing in my life, if, if it's possible to know the Lord, I want to know him. And I want to have his righteousness. See, I'm a pretty nice guy. Well, I think I am. My wife gave me kind of a look, and so I don't know. You know, I'm going to look over here. I'm a, I'm a nice guy. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, but it's, it's not even close. The, the Lord isn't looking for nice people. He's not even looking for good people. He wants people that embody the righteousness of His Son. And it's a gift He would give us. He will give you if you want it.
It's 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 the see Jesus rose to create a whole new race of people that have the resurrection life that He has, and it's power for living. It's power not to be a product of your past, to be set free from hurts from the past. It's power to be able to forgive. It's power to be able to not judge people. It's power not to have to defend yourself when somebody rejects you or says something about you or cusses you out. You're free. So, I think one of the important steps is to decide, man, if this, if this is possible, I'm going for it. I think the second thing that's real important, and I talked about this the last time I spoke in church on, on uh, Palm Sunday, when Jesus was riding into riding in Jerusalem on the donkey and people are waving palm fronds and quoting Scripture and acting real religious, and, 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 and the disciples are saying, man, the people are getting it, this is great. And Jesus is weeping. Because he says two things. If only you had known the things that make for peace. And if only you had recognized the time of your visitation. Now, what I said when I spoke that Sunday was recognizing the time that you're living in is the key to knowing peace. And we're living in a time When the Spirit of God has come upon the earth, Jesus Christ has returned in the form of His Spirit to live in our hearts. And we're living after the cross, after the resurrection, after the ascension. We're living in in the kingdom of God now. Not one day when you die, you get to go someplace. The very life of Jesus lives inside of us. We're part of a bigger story. Before the foundation of the world, God saw you, planned your life, that you would be born, that you would live from here to here, that you would live in Franklin, North Carolina at this time to accomplish purposes that He planned before the foundation of the world that could only go through you and your personality and your circle of relationships. But, but those good works, which is initiated and created by God, only are going to happen in Christ. It's not you saying, Lord, show me the list and I'll try to do it. No. He doesn't want you to do any list. He just wants you to be available for Him to do it through you spontaneously. And you know what? What I'm realizing is He's putting people in my world to grow me. Man, I... I wish I could just pick the people I like. I just wish the people that I work with saw things the way I saw them so we could be perfect like me. No. He puts people in your world that don't have a clue so that you can realize, you know what? What an opportunity to just love them where they're at. What an opportunity to say, Lord, demonstrate the message of grace through me. I don't want it to be through words. I want it to be through demonstration. 
I mean, I'm free. Some lady cussed me out over the phone, and that happens in my job. I am grinning like a cat because I'm free. In fact, I pray for her almost every day that the Lord could set her free. And if I'm around her, that he would give me. I used to pray, Lord, give me grace. I don't pray that way anymore. I pray, Lord, give me grace to receive your grace. Because I know the grace is there. But if I'm going to be around her, I just want the Lord to love her through me. Not, not, I'm just, cause that's, that's just, now that's not how I used to be. You know, it, 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 the Lord chose me before the foundation of the world. He's chosen me to live in this time when the kingdom of God is here. And so I've, I've got to change my way of thinking because it's His way, not my way. He's chosen me to live in a time of grace, not the law. So there's freedom. I don't have to try to perform. I have to look for what He's provided in Christ. We're living in the seventh day of God's creation. In the seventh day, He rested from all of His works. It's already done. Guess what? I can rest. I can enter that Sabbath rest. It's not a day of the week. It's every day of my life. Um, I turned 70 this year. So every morning when I wake up, I say, Lord, thank you for giving me another day. And thank you for this breath I'm taking. And, and, And as James proclaimed this morning, Lord, this is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Only you know what's coming. But whatever's coming, you're going to be there. Now that has become life-changing for me. I'll talk about that more in a minute. This may sound silly to say, but one of the things we need to make sure we recognize is how much we need the Lord. I mean, we need Him for every... You know, I used to kind of think, well, I need the Lord for the big stuff, but I can handle the small stuff? No. Uh-uh. <laughs> it's the small stuff that messes me up and gets me to where the big stuff comes along. You know, I, I, I need the Lord. I, uh, when I worked three Sundays ago, it was a rainy day. The boys were supposed to go to church. The child care worker said, man, I hate to go out in this mess. And I said, well, let's just have church here. They said, how are we going to do that? I said, I'll share something. That's a good idea. So this is what I shared. I shared, I wanted to talk to the boys about faith. We got, we got one of the boys in the cottage that's an agnostic. And uh, he is right now. I don't, I don't think he's going to stay there. But uh, I... I read, I read Hebrews 11.6. It says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that He is, He exists, and He's a rewarder of those that seek Him. 
And so I said, guys, what's the difference between an atheist and an agnostic? Boy, that guy raises his hand. He knows. He knows. He, he, got, he got an A on that question. You know, he says, an atheist doesn't believe there's a God. An agnostic believes there's a God, but he doesn't really know what to believe about him. I said, good answer. That's right. That's right. So I said, and we talked about faith and, 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 and what that means. But, but this is where I wanted to where I wanted to take them in, 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 in our church time was why would anybody even seek God? What does it look like to seek God? Because I wanted to realize you look for God. You know He exists and then you look for Him. Well, why would you look for Him? Because you know you need Him. You won't look for him if you don't realize how much you need him. When Jesus was walking the earth, he said, look, if you will seek first, look for first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, you won't have to worry about a thing. In every situation of life, there is what God is doing on the scene. And there's His righteousness for that. And if you will look for that, you'll be right at the right place at the right time all the time. And He will take care of your every need. Now, this... Psalm 118.24 that says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Has become a rhema word for my life. Now, you may not know what I mean when I say rhema word. There's two words in Scripture for the word word. One is logos. One is rhema. Logos is just, you know, the way we use it. Rhema is a specific word given for a specific situation. And with that is the power of God. Uh, that may be an oversimplification, but that's the way I understand it. When Jesus is talking to, to the devil, and the devil says, uh, you know, trying to tempt him, Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He used the word rhema. That's what you live by. When Mary is talking to Gabriel, and, and, and Gabriel says, Hey, you're going to have a baby. And she goes, Wait a minute. Gabriel, I, I, you know, I'm not married. I, 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 I went to biology. I know how all that stuff happens, and it ain't happened. He says, in the English translation, nothing is impossible with God. But that's not what it says in the original. In the original, it says, not any word is impossible with God. Not any rhema is impossible with God. When, when Paul's talking about the, the, Spiritual armor and, and spiritual warfare. He says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the rhema of God. It's not just anything. It's what God is saying in the situation. And then in Romans ten seventeen, 17. Uh, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. See, I have faith in a situation because I've heard the Lord speak into that situation. 
Peter could walk on the water because Jesus said, come. Lazarus, now, now Peter could go out the next day with his buddy and say, guys, let me show you what I can do. And you know what? He would, he would, what he could do would be sink to the bottom. Because unless the Lord says it, you're not doing it. I don't care how much faith you try to muster up, Pete, you're going down. Jesus said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. Lord, he's dead. Man, that wasn't nice. No, I said, Lazarus, come forth. He's not dead anymore. Man with a withered hand, no power in it at all. Jesus says, stretch forth your hand. Man, that's not nice. You know I, can't, I don't have anything in that hand. I just said, stretch forth your hand. If Jesus said it, the power for it is there. So anytime the Lord gives you a word for your situation, another way to grow in Him is to hold fast that word no matter what. And to trust it. You know that He said it. And a lot of times He will say things that will move you outside your comfort zone. One time I was eating lunch with my mom and dad, not suspecting nothing, not praying, saying, Lord, I'm just your child. I'm just available. I'm not even thinking about God. I'm just being honest. I'm thinking about what kind of food mom's going to fix for lunch. And mom, mom, my mom was one of the kindest people you'd ever meet. And she, there was a, a couple that lived next door. And they had just had their third miscarriage. And my mom says, it's so sad, Tommy. They're so, such nice people. And they just lost their third child. And, 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 and uh, the, you know, I'm just so sad for them. As soon as my mother said that, the Lord said to my heart, if you will go talk to the husband and tell, and, and, and tell him if either one of them ever been a part of abortion in the past, if they will confess that to the Lord and, and say, and we were wrong in doing that, the Lord will heal her woman she can have children. Saying, Lord, why did you say that to me? I don't even know that man. This is all I know about that man. He grinds stumps for a living. I know he's big. I know he's probably on the redneck side. I didn't think anything more about it. I had a great lunch. I'm going out and getting in my car. And as I get ready to put the key in the ignition, I look up. And the Lord said, there he is. He's in the yard. I know that the Lord had given me a word for that man. Nothing inside of me wanted to tell him. But I also know that if you ignore when the Lord speaks clearly and don't trust him, maybe a while before he does it again. So I got out of my car. Didn't know if I was going to get my butt, my, my rear end beat or not. Well, I'm kind of glad I said butt. Uh, but I went over there and I said, my name is Tommy. I'm David and Ruth's son. You know, I'm a Christian and, and I, I feel like the Lord wanted me to share this with you. And I did. And he looked at me and said, thank you very much. And they had three kids later. That's all I know. But 
This is the day that the Lord has made has become a rhema word for me. Every day, I got 20 minutes driving from home to work. I started out, Lord, this is the day that you've made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I thank you for choosing me before foundation of the world for yourself. That I can be holy and blameless before you in Christ. I thank you that you made me unique, that you chose my mom and dad, that, that you've given me strengths and weaknesses. I thank you that there are good things planned for this day that you've planned. And Lord, I just want to enter your rest so that I can see them and join you in them. And when I get to work and things are not the way I wanted them to be, when there's interruptions in my marvelous plan that I had for my day, I am free because, you know, one of them was I had to take this boy to the doctor. And when we get there, they were wrong. They didn't have the right day. And all the way back, my flesh saying, what a waste of my time. And the Lord said, remember what we've been working on, Tommy? I'm giving you an opportunity to spend time with this boy. Through there and back. And I just may orchestrate some dialogues. Just, just realize that it's not your time, it's my time. Well, I've been wanting to understand what this means. I, you know, if this is the day the Lord has made, then let us rejoice and be glad in it. I love to study the Bible. And I love to look up a word to see what it really means. And I'm saying, I wonder what rejoice means. Man, I want to get some handles on that. So I looked it up because one way you can tell a lot of times what a word means is sometimes it's translated differently in different places, the same word. The word rejoice means, when you look it up in the original, means to rejoice. And to be glad. I already knew that. So I, 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 I started pursuing it. And these are the verses that, that just spoke to me. In Ecclesiastes, of all places, I come across this word. And it is in the Bible. This is what Solomon wrote. He said, God has made everything appropriate in its time. He's also said eternity in men's hearts. Yet, so that men will not find out the work that God's done from the beginning to the end. I know there's nothing better for them to do than to rejoice. And do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, every man who eats and drinks and sees good in his labor is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There's nothing to add to it. There's nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men would be in awe of Him. Well, it seems like uh, rejoicing has something to do with recognizing that God is God and you're not. I looked up, up in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, it's God's will that I rejoice. I still want to know a little bit more what that means. Finally, I found a verse that, that helped me. And it's Philippians chapter 4. I mean, the other verses 
help me, but I'm looking for I'm looking for some insight that where the Lord says, let me show you what I'm talking about. It says rejoice in the Lord always rejoice in the Lord. Not rejoice in the situation. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. One translation says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. All of a sudden, I realize it's just a matter of acknowledging that the Lord is present. In fact, that's what the word Lord means. It's, it's a verb of I am, which means someone who is present and active in the situation. The Lord, present and active, is near. He's present. So I can rejoice in Him because regardless of what's going on, it's not a surprise to Him and He's got it. I can relax. Pressure's off. I can enjoy the journey. In fact, this is one reason I have Jesus. There's lots of reasons. That's that's one, though. Now, that that has helped me. Whenever uh, John asked me to share, I I always say, Lord, I don't want to talk theology. I don't want to talk a bunch of ideas. I want to share what you're working in me right now. And that's what is working in me. In my house... You wouldn't know it, but the people that owned the house before us took a two-car garage and cut it in half. And the guy made a woodworking shop. Now, I'm not a woodworker. I wish I was. So I tore all that out, and I moved my desk in there, and I made it my study. Man, it is awesome. Because it's away from the rest of the house. It's got air conditioning and heating. You cannot hear a thing. The whole house could fall down around me and I wouldn't even know there was an issue. It's wonderful. But at my desk, in front of my light where I study, where I look up and I... This, this is something, I saw this on a calendar and I cut it out. Because it spoke to me, and I, I, I have it there to remind me. It says, just think, you're not here by chance, but by God's choosing. His hand formed you and made you the person that you are. He compares you to no one else. You are one of a kind. You lack nothing that His grace cannot give you. He's allowed you to be here at this time in history to fulfill his special purpose for this generation. That's true for me. That's true for you. And if we can grasp and hunger to become all we can be in Christ, a man or a woman fully alive, then this church could turn not just Franklin upside down, North Carolina the world upside down. 
It was a battle in order to get there. But my hope is that uh, no matter what it costs, you're going to go for it. Thank you. And remember to love one another. You may go get your children if you have them.